2: Hi guys, Nancy Grace here. Welcome back to Killers Amongst Us, a production of iHeartMedia and Crime Online. Sarah Stern, a beautiful teen girl who loses her mom after a fight with cancer and was trying to find her way in the world. She disappears from home without a trace, leaving behind so many questions and so few clues. We start at 2.45 a.m., The morning of December 3, 2016, an abandoned car found on a New Jersey bridge. Nancy Grace, killers amongst us.
3: I can see on my caller ID that, you know, when they answered, it was the Sheriff's Department, except I got a recording that said that the hours are from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. and call back or leave a message. So right there, I knew it was, you know, it, it, it was called uh, from an official phone, but didn't have any details. And that's, uh, that's how the whole thing started. And, it, it, you know, I hadn't been able to get in touch with Sarah. So, I, you know, I, I thought something at that point might be wrong.
2: How long had you been trying to reach her?
3: From about 1030 uh, the evening before. So that would have been Friday night going into Saturday morning.
2: Michael Stern this is Sarah's dad. Michael that evening you started trying to contact her around 10 30 p.m. which would have been I guess a Friday night.
3: Okay let me go uh, back just a little. My uh, uh, Sarah's grandma my mother uh, had called me and said she hadn't been able to get in touch with Sarah all day and she was staying at my sister's house because she was recovering from being in the hospital. So she was over there for uh, uh, 10 or 12 days um, to recover. So she wasn't home and, you know, she talked to Sarah every day. She had seen Sarah during the week. But uh, she said she hadn't been able to get in touch with her. So I said, well, it's Friday night. It's 1030. You know, she's either sleeping or she's out or her phone's uh, Died or something, and she's charging it. You know, Sarah always had things going on; it seemed like twenty-four hours a day. So she'd be up at uh, four o'clock in the morning, talking to people in Australia or uh, London or California. So okay, her- wait,
2: wait, wait, wait. I just got to ask you: it's neither here nor there, but why is Sarah up at four o'clock in the morning talking to people in Australia?
3: Well, they were friends. They were her uh, YouTube and uh, internet friends that she had met at VidCon, BufferFest,
2: uh, BookCon, ComicCon. Okay, wait, 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 wait. I'm learning. Uh, what? Where, tell me about all the cons she went to. Well, um, VidCon,
3: which, you know, is in, I, I guess, in different places. I don't know. There was uh, California, Anaheim uh, a couple times, uh, New York, Toronto. Uh, so she was uh, kind of. Jumping around all over the place, uh, along with going to the people she liked, the uh, Grace Helbig and uh, uh, Jenna Marbles and Hannah Hart, uh, autograph parties and things like that that they would have at bookstores, signings and stuff. So she was uh, into the very heavily into um, uh, internet, YouTube, and uh, you know the social media. Thing.
2: Celebrate online video with your friends. Meet your favorite creators, have the time of your life, create better content, grow your channel, break into the industry, meet fellow creators. Wow. Okay, so I'm learning all about what this is, VidCon. And I guess everyone, all the YouTubers, all the TikTokers, all of them show up at VidCon. So do I have an understanding of what VidCon is, Michael Stern? Yes.
3: That's exactly the way it is. It's a, kind of an inter, international, <laughs> national media thing where it could be local or a distance. And Sarah had friends in Australia, London.
2: Oh, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Australia, London are the ones they mention. So she's all over the map. Now, you mentioned another thing she liked to go to. What was that? It started with a B as and brother. Uh, well, let's see. There was a, a Buffer Fest, which is, another internet what's uh, that but i guess i'm gonna have to look that up too don't don't judge me did you say buffer fest buffer fest yeah that's a you know when
3: sometimes when you're downloading a program or or a video or something it buffers you know it's just you see the little circle going around well buffer fest was kind of a take on that thing where it was an internet thing where you just learned about the different uh things that were going
2: on in i looked it up i had to look everything up buffer festival is a four-day theatrical showcase of theatrical screenings that celebrates video premieres from acclaimed digital creators okay yep that says annually in toronto or ontario okay so she's all about digital and see the reason I'm curious about this, Michael Stern, and I'm going to get back to her car being found, is Bobby you can help me out here. I need everybody on this. The bigger her circle is, okay, the more people we've got to look at that may know where she is or what happened to her. See what I mean? So it's not no longer just, um, let's go ask the next door neighbor. It's let's go on her uh, all of her devices, her phone, her laptop, her desktop, her iPad. And who is she talking to? Who are her best friends online? She's heavily, heavily involved in and in a, a fun, a fun, good way in creating video content. Bobby Chacon, I mean, that's a little overwhelming for an investigator because there's so many directions in which to go looking for information about where is Sarah? Do I have to go to VidCon and BufferFest?
4: I mean, it really does. It's created in a complete new uh, way of having to investigate these cases um, that wasn't in existence when I started in this business. And, and so you always look at the, the, the world of the missing person, the world of whoever you're looking at. And while the Internet has made the world such a smaller place, in one way, it's now completely made the, you know, the pool of people you have to look at and investigate much, much larger for investigators.
2: And to Dr. Bethany Marshall, psychoanalyst, joining me out of California, Dr. Bethany, this is like a whole new world. As Bobby Chacon said, it wasn't like that when I first became entered the FBI. Now, everybody's world has blown up. And as an investigator, I'm trying to find out where Sarah and I find out she goes to Bufferfest and VidCon and a lot of other places. And she's up at 4 a.m. talking to her friends in other countries, specifically Ontario and Toronto. I mean, that opens up a whole world. Are people creating really alternate IDs online? Well, this is the
5: digital version of a young woman, a 19-year-old young woman, traveling all over the world and meeting hundreds and thousands of people. Searching for that one person who may have targeted her, become obsessed with her, started to stalk her, becomes a little bit like a needle in a haystack. Nancy, when I started on your show on HLN many years ago, we kept covering 13, 14, 15 year olds who had been um, abducted um, at the hands of predators they had met online. And the conventional wisdom then was, you know, when your child goes online to do their homework or to look on the internet, make sure they're in the living room with the screen facing outward so everybody can see what they're doing. That was the simple advice we gave back then. That does not even apply anymore. There are so many devices. And as I'm listening to Sarah Stern's father, she was at all these, these festivals and all these different modes of communication on the internet.
2: And now, let, Let's be clear, though. Let's be clear. We're talking about the festivals she goes to. I'm not talking about the Fry Festival or Burning Man or Coachella where everybody's high and drunk and sleeping around. These are actual content, creative festivals, as they call them, where you premiere new theatrical entries online. I mean, it's a very creative and positive thing she's doing. She's not high as a kite in some tent out at Coachella. That's not what Sarah Stern's about, Bethany.
5: It sounds almost like a Shakespeare festival,
2: you know, that a bunch of... I don't know that like- I go that far. I don't know <laughs> that I go that far, but... <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Michael, Michael, I, I, I want to go back to Sarah's dad with me right now, Michael Stern. Tell me about her. I mean, <laughs> that's that's quite the swing of the pendulum, me saying she, she's not at Coachella, you know, everybody's drunk and high. And the Bethany goes, yes, it's like Shakespearean festivals. I don't think I'd go that far, Michael. Just tell me about her. Well,
3: Sarah's kind of hard to describe, but she she loved the media and arts and, and the creating, uh, you know, of, of uh, videos and things like that, little vignettes, and that's what she was interested in. She liked the podcast um, type of thing that, that Grace Helbig and. Uh, Uh, Jason Solomita I think it was and he was uh, Jason was one of the uh, people that as soon as he found out Sarah was missing and I don't know how big his following is it's probably a million million and a half people or something and Grace Helbig has uh, three million or so followers Uh, they were right away you know within a few days they were out there you know asking for help to
6: you know find Sarah
2: You know, when you said, Michael, that Sarah was hard to describe, I, I kind of know what you mean, because I've researched her and it, talked to so many people about Sarah. I mean, on one hand, she's this happy-go-lucky teen girl. On the other hand, I look at the photos. She's, uh, she's very into digital creation in photos and some of her um, self photos and I'm not going to say selfies because they look as if they're taken by a professional photographer like she's silhouetted looking out into like an afternoon sky I mean they're very thoughtful and kind of deep and she'd been through a lot because she lost her mother so at her very young age, you guys had already battled a terminal illness, and Sarah lost her mom at a very young age. What happened, Michael?
3: Well, Sarah was 15 when, uh, you know, she was younger. Her mother suffered with uh, cancer for uh, about six years, or five, five and a half, six years. And, you know, she was on the wrote to recovery and then she had a recurrence, and subsequently within a year she passed away. And Sarah at that point turned to um, art and creation, art as a drawing and photography. And also um, I would say film and th- the whole media television kind of um, junk. Uh,
2: I want to ask you a question, Michael. You know, I, I know people ask you about Sarah all the time, but I want to talk for a moment about Sarah's mom because hearing you describe her illness, how she had fought it for so many years, and thought had beaten it, and then it came back. I remember when they called me and told me that I had a melanoma, and you know, as you know, is the most aggressive form of skin cancer. And my first thought was, oh dear God, please, please just let me stay here and be with the twins. Just let me stay here. And I continue that prayer so so many days of the week. And I'm imagining Sarah's mom just wanting to stay alive. Sarah's your only child. To just stay alive to get her through school, to get her through the bumpy road of life and help her, you know, when you finally go to heaven, you know you've done everything you can for your child to try as best as you can to give them a happy life so that they're set and they're on the path to happiness, whatever that may be. And I'm just imagining Sarah's mom struggling, just trying to stay alive For Sarah,
3: it was a it was a tough it was a tough fight the last year, and uh, you know that you just when you don't get any better and you go through treatments and operations and chemo and it it just uh, it's a tough thing to go through. And you know, Sarah, we try to keep things as normal as possible, you know, steady, even keel, so it it didn't seem you know so dire, which it. It didn't seem like it was uh, dire in the beginning, but as months went by, things didn't get, things just weren't getting better. They were uh, just progressively getting worse, and it, it was tough for Sarah. You know, she saw her mom, you know, couldn't do what she used to do, and, you know, was tired all the time, a lot of doctor's appointments. So it was tough for Sarah when her mom passed away, uh, she kind of found herself, she had some very good teachers in high school, photography and art teachers who took Sarah under their uh, their wing and uh, somehow Sarah just developed this talent within a year and she just became a brilliant artist and photographer, uh, which was amazing to me i mean i've never i've never seen a transformation like that she went from hardly being able to you know draw, up uh, you know a, a picture with a you know a straight line with a ruler as i would say uh she just became a brilliant artist in, in any media it didn't matter what it was pencil uh watercolor pen and ink, whatever she took her hand to she just put her entire being into that and that's how she i i think um kind of lived to prove you know that she could be somebody you know and you know take the pain away from her mother passing away and i think that's what she did and she just threw herself into art and media and uh, she she liked it and that's what kept her uh, that's what kept her going.
2: I mean, I've looked at so many of her pieces, her photography especially and a lot of her pencil sketches and they're incredible. In fact, one um, of her dog it looks like the dog is about to jump off the page. It's so lifelike and I was marveling at her talent when you said you tried to keep everything as normal as possible as your wife battled cancer what do you mean by that
3: well just you know routines you know get up go to school you know make lunch take your lunch with you or you know buy lunch in school and you know whatever the activities were sarah was on the uh, swim team for uh, a season too, along with her softball she started um softball in her freshman year on the varsity team and stayed on the varsity team throughout school with softball. So that was a good, uh, you know, she just, she liked it. She liked the camaraderie with the team and stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, so we kept everything as normal as possible. Her mother would go to the games when she felt up to it, you know, the home games and stuff. So uh, everything seemed normal um, except for, you know, the illness. So it's just kinda of, you know, you don't want you don't want to start changing lifestyles with a with you know, with a young child, you know, even though there is adversity. So that's we just try to keep things as warm as possible.
2: We are talking about Sarah Stern's mom, Carla Stern, and I'm speaking with Sarah's dad, Michael Stern, and he is recounting the call he received down in Florida. He's only gone for seven days. He's just seen his daughter. And suddenly, after not being able to reach her since about 10.30 that evening, he gets a 3 a.m.-ish call telling him her car is found on the side of a bridge. When I'm thinking about this bridge and I'm looking at it, her car is parked over to the far right. There is an emergency lane of sorts, so it's not blocking traffic, which makes me wonder also to... Our special guest joining us, crime and court reporter for NJ.com and Star Ledger, Alex Napolillo. Alex, with the car pulled over to the side right there in that particular neck of the woods, it could have sat there for hours and nobody have noticed it. It wasn't blocking traffic. It was late at night when it was called in around 3 a.m. And... What can you tell me about the area? I mean, it's near Asbury Park, right? Isn't that where Bruce Springsteen started and the Stone Pony and um, Neptune Beach? What can you tell me about the area?
6: Correct. So Neptune City is a very tight Ah,
2: Neptune City, thank you.
6: It's a very tight-knit community at, at the heart of the Jersey Shore. Uh, about two miles north is Asbury Park where, as you said, famously, Bruce Springsteen got his start playing the clubs in Asbury. Uh, Just to the south of Neptune City is Belmar, which is an extremely popular summer destination. It's where many people in New Jersey go to vacation. They grow up. uh, Kids grow up going on the boardwalk in Belmar. And so this is a place that's known to practically everyone in the state and even across state lines in New York and Pennsylvania. So, But Neptune City is a community where everyone knows each other. Uh, the Stern family, as Michael could tell you, was well-known in the area because they owned and operated an independent bookstore there. And so in turn, Sarah was a well-known uh, in the area she worked at local businesses uh, in the area yes. and so she was too she was well known but uh the the bridge where the car was discovered as you said before was off to the side it could go unnoticed for hours because it wasn't in any of the the travel lanes it was simply pulled over i just last week i was driving over the route 35 bridge and there was a truck pulled over and I didn't even think twice about it. I just kept on driving because it's not that uncommon.
2: You know when people hear uh, Neptune Beach or the Jersey Shore, everybody thinks of the reality show, The Jersey Shore. This area could be could not be further from that stereotype. Uh, couldn't be further because this area where you guys live, Michael, It's beautiful. There's beautiful yards, very well-kept, tidy, uh, perfectly manicured homes, really nice residential areas where you see people out walking and jogging and children out with their scooters. It's nothing at all like the Jersey Shore gang where everybody was passed out, drunk on the beach. It was a nonstop party. This is a real family area. Uh, Do I have that right, Michael? Uh, yeah,
3: pretty much family area. You know, the, the um, Asbury Park is going through a, like a gentrification, and uh, it it's coming back, you know, from where it was years ago, kind of uh, buildings falling apart, a lot of uh, million-dollar investments going in along the beach. So it, it attracts a lot of people to the area. And Asbury Park, also very small uh, ocean grove, which is part of Neptune and then you've got Bradley beach and Avon, Belmar spring Lake. So there's a lot of small, small towns. If you, uh, if you're driving through, you can pass through, you know, in in 10 minutes, you could pass through five towns. So, but it's, you know, there's some middle class, some, you know, some upper class areas and it's just a good mix of, uh, People and businesses, and it's just a you know it's a nice place. The beach is
2: nearby. Yeah, and I guess the point of my analysis of the area is you know I see everything through the eyes of a felony prosecutor and a crime victim, and immediately you know Dr. Bethany Marshall, psychoanalyst out of L.A. What wrong or right when you see a beautiful neighborhood and children out on their scooters and people walking and cars pulling into the driveway it gives you a sense of security and safety and that's the backdrop for finding her car stashed on the side of the road with the keys in it i mean this is an area where there's a low crime rate so right or wrong we start trying to figure out where sarah she's not in her car and she's left the keys in the car
5: nancy a part of good mental health is living one's life with the illusion that the world is a safe place. This is one of the things we're taught at the beginning of our training as psychologists and psychoanalysts, that people who come into treatment who are nervous that their car's gonna plunge off the road or they're gonna lose all their money, they're gonna be a victim of a crime, usually have anxiety disorders. So in a case like this, you have a car, you know, parked on the bridge, you have a tranquil, calm, beautiful neighborhood, as you said, children on scooters, you you want people in a community like that to live with an illusion of safety, because that imparts a sense of well-being. And furthermore, when someone then sees a car on the side of the road, they're not going to think the worst in a case like this. They're going to think, you know, well, You know, maybe somebody got sleepy or tired, so they pulled over to take a nap because they didn't think they should keep driving. So in an unfortunate way, this illusion of safety or that nothing bad can ever happen is the kind of environment in which these kinds of crimes can blossom because nobody's looking over their shoulder. Nobody's looking to say, is somebody stalking Sarah? Is somebody obsessed with her? Is is somebody targeting her? They're just thinking of a beautiful young Artistic
2: woman in a tranquil community enjoying her life that's what people are thinking oh and I don't know if you've seen her picture but I've studied it very carefully the long black silky hair she had perfect skin and beautiful eyes and she was I mean compared to me who's 5'1 she seems tall and thin and statuesque. she looks athletic so Bobby Chacon with that in mind with the area in mind that Alex and Michael are describing, you don't think immediately crime. I mean, in that area, I would think, up oh, disabled car.
4: Well, you, yeah, you try not to jump to any conclusions. And as an investigator, you, you go in with, you know, open eyes, but you also don't want to go in too naive because, as we always we say, you know, in those early minutes of, of an investigation like that, if you don't handle it properly, there are things and steps that you lose if you don't take them. and and you can never go back. And so you do want to, you know, an investigator, this is why maybe investigators suffer from, you know, certain um, anxiety disorders, uh, but we always, you know, think the worst and hope for the best because if you don't think the worst uh, and you you skip steps, um, you could lose valuable evidence and valuable information that you just won't be able to go back and get. Right. And so when you see a car like that and it's parked there and it has the keys in it, You know, you do, it does start to raise you know, that level of concern. And why would, you know, why would the person leave the keys? If this is a disabled car and they're going to help, you would, you would secure the vehicle before you walk away. So that's my first, that's my first uh, thing that would would elevate my concern in this case.
2: Take a listen to our friend Tony Yates at Channel 7 WABC.
7: Our top story this half hour, the mystery of a missing 19 year old from Monmouth County. Sarah Stern was last seen late Friday night.
4: Now her car was found, but searches for her have turned up empty. Now her family and authorities hope a reward will help lead to clues. New Jersey reporter Tony Yates in Belmar, the very latest on this story. Tony.
7: Yes, exactly. No word, nothing. No one's heard anything from 19-year-old Sarah Stern. Of course, the uh, Monmouth County Prosecutor's Office has taken over this investigation, but we're here in Belmar right now because you see this behind me, the uh, Route 35 uh, bridge. That is where her car was found on Friday night. She's 19 years old again. She is from Neptune, where she lived with her father and a grandmother. Uh, Her father, Michael Stern, actually told us by phone today that he was uh, with investigators trying to come up with anything that may lead them to his daughter. She left home on Friday night, then hours later, almost in the morning, her car uh, according to published reports, in 1994, Delta 88 was found on the bridge over the Shark River Inlet. The New Jersey State Police Missing Persons Unit uh, and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children are also assisting in this investigation. A reward is now being offered in this case. Of course, police are saying at this point, if anyone has any information uh, on the whereabouts of 19-year-old Sarah Stern from Neptune to please give call, uh, police a call.
2: With all of this swirling, Michael Stern, I can only imagine what was running through your mind when you decided to pack up and come home and drive through the night, starting around 3 a.m. to get from Florida all the way back home.
3: Well, it was uh, a little bit of panic set in. And I started making phone calls even before I left just try to get all the, um, the couple luggage and some uh, things into the car so I could, you know, we could get uh, moving, you know, on the road. And the, the, making phone calls to try to find out if uh, anybody knew anything else, you know, where Sarah was. You know, we had already, uh, you know, made a few calls and, nothing nothing came out of that except that nobody could find Sarah she wasn't she wasn't with friends she wasn't with neighbors she wasn't with family so uh, it was just a, a kind of a panic for uh for hours during the drive
2: how did you control that feeling when you were driving because i i remember when i i had just packed up the children everything and we had flown back home to New York and got everybody in bathed and in, in bed. And my mom called it's about 11 o'clock at night. And she said, they put your dad on life support. And I remember just standing in that exact spot in our apartment. And I said, daddy, just hang on. I'm on the way. I'm coming right now. And the, I, start, I remember it sounded like a siren in my throat, screaming, okay, everybody, get your clothes back on right now. Get your stuff packed. And I started throwing everything back in the in our bags we had just unpacked. In about 15 minutes, we were all out at eleven fifteen at night on the sidewalk trying to hail a cab, and I didn't know how we were going to get home at that time of the night, but I had to get home. And the next hours were like a, a horrible odyssey. When I was far away from my dad and I I couldn't get to him, what was going through your mind and your heart and your body as you're driving that very, very hours and hours from Florida back to New Jersey?
3: Well, we were all just trying to figure out, you know, what happened and why the car was up there. And that was, you know, whether it was ran out of gas or had mechanical problems and Sarah was just, you know, she was, hiding and didn't want anybody to find her because you know she felt bad Sarah was you know she would take things to heart and she would you know feel that you know sometimes if things were her fault she just wanted to disconnect from the world but um you know this just nothing seemed right nothing at all seemed right uh from uh her grandma calling me to you know see if I could get in touch with her or find out what's going on but you know it just, it, it was kind of panic the whole time. And then by 5 a.m. about two hours later, uh, we were in contact with the Delmar police, the, the Neptune City police, the Coast Guard. Uh, it, it, there was a lot of people involved in, in the search and looking for her to try to find out where she was. And it it just, the uh, panic just stayed, and, and it just it didn't get any better during the day because we still couldn't figure things out. There was a lot of strange things.
2: Right. Police then doing an alternate investigation. Take a listen to police body cam audio as they enter the Sterns home.
3: There's a teenager that's supposed to be driving it. It's parked on top of that bridge. We're getting no answer at the house. <laughs> I have an open door
0: at the house. I might uh, go inside and make sure everything's kosher here. I, I want to make sure we don't have a jumper.
3: All right.
2: Okay.
3: Announce yourself real well.
5: F.B.I. Police. Hello. Hello. F.B.I. Police. Police go to her house. The back door is open, and the lights are on, and there is no sign of Sarah. Hello.
2: Where is Sarah Strong? Nancy Grace, signing off. Goodbye, friend.
0: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going
4: on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God,
7: Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical.
2: Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's Crime Stories possible. It's Lisa Mattress, a collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The natural hybrid is made from natural latex, natural wool, and environmentally safe foams. The natural hybrid elevates your sleep and supports... Our partner.